And welcome, listeners, here to At Odds. Uh, my name is Adam. Jared's my partner. How are you doing today, Jared? Doing good after last week. Yeah, I, I can tell that you're doing well. Me, not so much. I apologize for the to our listeners here for the lackluster intro. Usually we got some dope beats that we're jamming out to, but we've experienced some technical difficulties this morning. We've been getting over, and I actually don't even have my laptop with me, so... We're really going to be free on testing my sports knowledge with just a piece of paper in front of me with some notes. So uh, I'm excited. Like the, like the old old days. Exactly, exactly. We're, we're throwing it back. I'm excited to move on from last week. Um, I know we said we were going to talk about last week at the beginning of the show. I don't really want to. Um, <laughs> I'll go through real, real quick. I actually had my worst week. I was one and four last week. My only win was, of course, against the Red Wings. Penguins covering minus one and a half. That's pretty much a given at this point, but not on this uh, show we talked about. But I actually texted Jared last night, took the Red Wings straight up to end their losing streak 12 games against the uh, Winnipeg Jets. They did. That was a good bet, but irrelevant because last week I got crushed. I made the worst bet ever in the Texans. I had a terrible (laughs) parlay. Georgia and Oklahoma were all terrible. One and four, down big last week, only won one bet. But all in all, still up pretty big since the start. Um, I'm at 238 units coming into this week. So, you know, I've more than doubled up my profits in this, you know, short NFL season, I guess you could look at it. Um, so looking to rebound after last week. I did win our pick em, um, moved to four and three there. I, I had the Rams to, to straight up there in our head-to-head, Jared. So I took the lead back in that four to three. So how, I know your last week is a little better than mine. Hopefully the viewers yeah. listen to you and not me. So uh, real quick, though, you're harping on your last week. But, I mean, on a week-to-week basis, everybody's going to have bad weeks. you got to look at the overall, and you're, you're doubled up. So you gotta you got to stick to it. But my oh, last yeah. week uh, was actually a pretty good week. I finally got into positives again and then lost it. And then last week, pushed myself back in. Again, the combat sports coming through with the Ruiz Joshua over seven rounds. Um, the uh, Jarzino Rosen streak. That pick uh, had me a little worried because I think he was losing that fight until there was about six seconds left, and he uh, knocked the Overeem's lip off his face. But a win's a win. So um, then the Georgia one was a pretty <clears throat> pretty off pick. I didn't realize they had a lot of offensive weapons out in that game. So that's on me. Then the Kansas City money line, I was a little worried that uh, Belichick was hiding their equipment, and I was going to have to get a forfeit. But they came through. They found their equipment. And then my, my teaser went through good. So last week I actually went up. 30 units, I believe, or a little over 30. So, That's one thing I want to point out, everybody, too, I'm really putting us on the spot now, but we have 70 combined picks between both of us, and we are both in the positive. I mean, that I don't know if you guys understand, but Vegas is set up so that if you're a 50% hit rate, you're going to lose. We're probably at like a 65% rate right now between the two of us. You're never going to find that anywhere else, especially for free. Yeah, you're putting us on the spot there, but I went through my record and calculated it. And coming into this week, um, I'm 21 and 14 moving into next week. And that in, that includes parlays, underdogs. I don't think I took a straight up favorite at any point except for rattled into a parlay. So uh, it's not like we're picking, um, you know, minus 200 money lines to get that record to 21 and 14. I may have had one overdog money line but almost everything is is underdogs if there is an overdog money line I'm, I'm parlaying it so at 21 and 14 I know your record's pretty solid as well Jared uh and we're both in the positive so there's no reason to not be following us I, I think at this point 
and like you mentioned, we're picking a lot of underdogs and uh, parlays here. It's not just picking heavy favorite money lines that we're over 500 on. Yeah. Well, you want right. to break us I into our, our new week here? Yeah, I'll get us started. Uh, something new new from me here, guys. Is, uh, <laughs> I know uh, I don't go to the go to the ice very often, but I was texting Adam earlier this week about the Red Wings, and let's just put it as it is. This team is atrocious. They did get that nice win the other day, as Adam pointed out. Great, great hit for him. But um, I pulled a little bit of data. I'm a data person. I know it's a, a small sample size, but if you look at the Red Wings covering one and a half, and the key thing about one and a half is you're often, even as a favorite, going to get positive money because one and a half a sizable lead. Um, or you're at least getting a pick them usually at that point or even return. The Red Wings, with a one and a half point spread, 60% of their games, just no, no cherry picking anything, they're not even covering one and a half, 60 So if you just bet every single game on the Red Wings to not cover one and a half, you'd be up probably substantially. 60% of the time you'd be correct and you're getting more positive returns. You're probably up, I don't know, a, a sizable chunk. A million dollars, so, probably. Yeah. If you look at teams that are over 500, they fail 67% of the time. So now that's just showing the better the team they play, the more likely it is to happen. Now you're getting to a really small sample size. But if you look at over 500 teams on the road, they're only covering 85% of the time. And what I did for this 500... <laughs> As I actually, I should mention, I did 500 in regulation because I, I believe that's probably a better indicator of how good a team truly is or not. Overtime, a lot of weird things can happen. I'm not discounting the overtime wins. I'm also not counting the losses against them because uh, you, you literally have a five-minute three-on-three period, which is very entertaining to watch. But it's not true. I feel like a regulation win is a really indicative way to see how good a team is or not. Um, that way you don't have any fluke plays or shootouts kind of skewing uh, how good or bad a team may be. Regardless, or needless to say, the Red Wings are playing Montreal, who is a uh, over 500 team in regulation again. Um, they're 15 and 11. It's on the road for the Red Wings. You're getting even money return on this one. I, last I looked, it was a, a dead even. And Montreal's kind of been on a, a tear as of recently. I, I wouldn't quite call it a tear. They're not like they're just blowing teams out of the water. But if you look at Montreal's recent five, six games, they did go through a pretty bad losing streak, but a couple close losses and over T losses in there. But their recent games, they beat Ottawa. They beat Pittsburgh on the road. They beat New York Rangers on the road. They lost a close one to Colorado, and they beat New York Islanders on the road or at home. Um, they've had four days off or so. They haven't played since Wednesday to prepare, prepare for the Red Wings. So they're, they're coming on four days rest, and it was a home game. They haven't traveled in over a week. You look at the Red Wings, on the other hand, they have gone from, uh, I mean, they were they just got whooped by Pittsburgh a couple days ago. They went on the road to Winnipeg, came back two days later and played Winnipeg at home, and now they're going on the road to Montreal. They've been bouncing around a lot. I think everything is lining up for the Montreal to win this game, and as I mentioned, almost all the time when the Red Wings lose, they lose by more than one and a half. I feel pretty comfortable with this bet. I hate betting against the Red Wings. They're maybe my favorite sports teams to watch, but you got to be honest with yourself and make money when you can because – Hopefully in a year or two, this is not going to be so easy to make money on the downside of the Red Wings when you're picking the other side, but at least get something out of it while they're in the dumps. Yeah, you say you hate betting against the uh, the Red yeah. Wings. I mean, mentally I do too, but it seems like it's it's like a full-time job at this point to bet against the Red Wings. So I don't hate it that much. It's a good way to make money. 
I agree with pretty much everything you said. I the, the Red Wings are atrocious. The reason why I picked them, you know, off the record to beat the Winnipeg Jets is just because they were tied for a franchise worst losing streak. And in how or I think yeah, tied since 1982 or something like that. Again, I don't have my computer in front of me, so don't quote me on that. But for how incredible the Wings franchise has been to tie a franchise losing worst losing streak is awful. So, and how long they've been around. So I just figured that they would turn it over at some point. They just played Winnipeg who beat their butt. So, you know, they would be a little complacent. That's actually what I said to you. Other than that, the Redmonds have no shot. I feel like in any game, they got a bad coach. They don't have very good offense, bad defense and awful goaltending. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you there. The only thing I discount on what you said is when you said that you don't want to discount overtime wins and shootout wins. I think those should be completely discounted. Those Overtime wins and shootout wins are just, hey, we don't want to keep playing this regular season game that isn't that meaningful for six hours tonight. Let's just end it. I think you should discount those wins. In the playoffs, you don't play three-on-three unless there's a bunch of penalties. In the playoffs, you don't go to a shootout. Shootout wins, overtime wins, those are a little gimmicky. Uh, You know, you can discount them however you want. I don't think they're that great of a measure of how good a team is, just like you said. So. I don't think I, I think they can be important that. for some measurements, but not for truly analyzing yeah. how good a team is. You're playing exactly. three-on-three hockey. One guy falls down. It's a three-on-two. That you're going to score on a three-on-two probably forty percent of the time. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a different game. You're going into a different. You're playing like a, a backyard style instead of a true NHL hockey game. Exactly. So I'm going to keep it um, in the off sports here before I break into my football talk. Uh, I'm going to go into the NBA, though. I haven't done a whole lot of NBA recently. I think you have to go back a few weeks um, to where I picked my last NBA game three or four weeks ago. But if you look at my NBA record, it's actually been very good. Um, I think I'm three or I'm sorry, I'm two and oh on NBA games. And I'm looking back. I have to go more than three weeks back. I have to go like four or five weeks back. But I'm actually two and oh on NBA games bet. And one of them was a three leg parlay. So in four NBA games I've discussed with you guys. I'm, I'm 4-0 in them. So I'm pretty confident in this one here. Um, I've got the Miami Heat to cover a seven-point spread at the Dallas Mavericks. I've got seven units on that to cover six or to return 6.1. Honestly, I don't have a lot of analysis on this one. This one's kind of a gut check. I looked at it. Miami, Miami Heat are a surprise team in the Eastern Conference. Everybody thought they'd be good. Nobody thought they would be this good. They're going to be legitimately competing for a top three uh, seed in the Eastern Conference. The only problem is is Milwaukee's obviously clearly the best team in the East. But Miami Heat's run out an 18-7 and record. And Dallas has run out a 17-7 and record. And Dallas has been a little surprising this year. Everybody, again, thought they were going to be good with Luka going to the next step. Chris Depps Porzingis coming back from injury. Everybody thought Dallas would be take the next step, but maybe not one of the better teams in the West next step. The Heat are a surprise team. Dallas is a little bit of a surprise team, too. So I'm not understanding why there's a seven-point spread when Miami looks like they're just as good as Dallas. There may be a slight step back uh, as far as a offensive standpoint goes. I think the Dallas Mavericks are averaging a few more points per game, but Miami's better defensively. They're averaging less points against per game. They're averaging more assists per game. They're averaging more um, steals per game. They're a better defensive unit, a better coach team um, with Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra. They're a better unit than I think anybody was anticipating them to be. Dallas, again, 
they beat the Pistons like two nights ago. I don't know if anybody's watching that game. That was one of the most insane games I've ever seen. The Pistons were up like 60 to 55 at one point. And then I looked back at the screen and the Pistons were losing like 88 to 69. Like the Mavericks went on like a 25 to eight run. And that was the only reason they escaped that with a win. And the Pistons are a middling team. I think Miami gets it done here. I even like them at the money line. I think they were like plus two. 10 or something or plus 190 I, don't quote me on that but I really like them against the spread a seven point spread these teams are almost evenly matched I even lean Miami a little bit I may lean Dallas a little bit because they're playing on their home court but seven points is a lot um, in the NBA for two evenly matched teams lock in with confidence I've got seven units on that to return 6.1 uh, I'm getting back on the basketball grind hopefully they can keep me afloat like they have in the past I don't have a whole lot to say. I haven't been following NBA too closely. I did watch the Lakers and Heat game, some of it last night, though. And Miami looked like a pretty good team, like you said. They actually got an early jump or up probably 15 points on L.A. Yeah, uh, and they kept excellent. it close. It ended up being a three-point game. And what it took for the Lakers to even win this game was Anthony Davis going four from nine from three and LeBron going four for eight. So essentially the two best players on the team had to shoot 50% from three on a lot of three-point attempts and combined for 51 points. I mean, that's, I know that Luke is a beast, but who else do they have that's going to go matches 30 points to keep them? Like you said, I could see Miami winning seven points. Is, and I, I, I think like you said, I, again, I haven't been watching very closely, but it's, it's going to be a tight game. Seven and points well, kind of gives you that comfort of, even if they lose the, lose the uh, reins of the game at the last minute or two, you're still going to be safe. Well, we're on the topic of basketball. I'll be real quick on this. I don't know if anybody listening or Jared saw Jaron Jackson Jr. last night. He scored like 26 points in the third quarter and made seven three-pointers. And for those of you who don't know, this dude is like six foot ten, a dominant force down low. He made seven three-pointers in the third quarter. He, he was like literally pulling up covered from like five feet beyond the arc. I highly recommend you guys go watch the the uh, highlights of it. He was literally, he's got disgustingly ugly shooting form. It's comical, but he was just with confidence draining. That was fun to watch, Jared. I know. You look good. I would, I would watch that highlight if you haven't watched it. it but is, is that the guy that uh, Izzo had on the bench when they were losing to Syracuse? For Ben tournament? Carter. Yep. Yeah. I love benching an NBA future potential superstar for a walk-on accountant. Hey, but he, he passed better in the zone, right? He sat in that zone and missed one shot and was scared to shoot the rest of the game and was a halfway decent passer. So I guess that's what really matters, right? Yeah. Anyways, <clears throat> moving on. Uh, I'll go back to where I have been on fire. Adam mentioned it when we were starting. I always text him about the uh, UFC picks, especially the combat sports in general, mainly it's UFC, though. Um and as you guys have seen, I don't pick a ton because I like to try to pick underdogs. If you go out of control with it, you're probably going to lose money. But uh, it all comes down to value with UFC. And essentially, if, if somebody's less than a plus 200, I feel like that's Vegas saying it's almost an even fight. They don't really know what way to go. Um, my first fight will be Jose, Jose Aldo tonight fighting uh, Marlon, Marlon Moraes. Uh, the reason I'm taking this one, it's a plus 160. You're getting Jose Auto at plus 160. We'll start with Marlon Moraes. 
he, he's a good fighter, but he's kind of one of these newer guys. We don't really know what he is yet. He's not new to the fighting. He's, he's like 31, I think, years old, but he's, he's on the newer edge of the UFC. He's coming from um, uh, the World Series of Fighting, and there's one thing I've seen that you can't trust what somebody does in another um, in another professional fighting league because it's just it's the elite of the elite. The you have to measure somebody in the UFC to see what they are. His first fight in UFC, he lost. He did go on to win four in a row. He lost. Most recent loss is actually to Henry for the champion. Recent loss, but <clears throat> this guy really hasn't been tested by somebody that's truly elite and beat them. The only truly elite fighter he's fought, he ended up losing to. Uh, now, if you go look at Jose Aldo, he, on the other hand, until about a year ago, was probably the best featherweight of all time. He was fighting the elite competition. Now, now this is the one time I will say you can credit another fighting league, the WEC, because the WEC actually became part of the UFC. The UFC did not have these smaller weight divisions. They basically just merged with the WEC. So <clears throat> winning in the WEC, smaller divisions, I don't, I don't know when the merger was, probably seven years ago or so. Winning then was basically winning in the UFC today. So he won in that league after the merger. So this guy is elite. And when you're the title holder, you are fighting the top competition every single night. So this guy's fought the top competition for like eight or nine straight years. The only process he has since 2005, Conor McGregor, who is a beast, and it was a one-hit punch. Now you can discredit him all you want, but that doesn't say anything about the fight itself. It, was, it could have been a fluke. Who knows? He lost to Max Holloway twice who right now is probably in the argument for the greatest heavy or uh, featherweight of all time. And then Alexander Volkanovsky, who is fighting Max Holloway tonight. So he's only four losses in the last 14 years are to probably for sure two top 10 fighters of the last five to seven years. And then one guy who's maybe, maybe pushing his way in there if he can get a win tonight. You're getting the much better, much tested, much more experienced fighter at plus 160 here. And I think the reason is that he's cutting weight. And a lot of people have been concerned that he's cutting so much weight, they think he's going to have issues, which I have seen you have issues when you're cutting weight. But let's just pretend he wasn't cutting weight. He would be a heavy favorite in this fight. He's an all-time great. And he's not, like I've said before, you can fade all-time greats when they're getting up there in age or 38 years old and they're trying to salvage their career. He's still only, I think, 32 years old. A lot of fighters enter their prime when they're about 30 to 33 years old. He's not some guy that's fading away. <clears throat> he's moving to a different weight class because he kind of got pushed out of his by some more elite talent and he's trying something else. Now, again, the weight cut itself, I think gives you a little question, but to me, that makes it closer to even. You have a much better fight, but you're questioning how they are with their He looked healthy. He looked fine. Another thing I think is kind of critical is Conor McGregor is actually going to saying he looks really good. And I think that can do a lot for his confidence because this is his kryptonite, his arch nemesis, who is just mentally derailed him over the past couple of years. Now all of a sudden has your back and is saying, good luck, you wish them the best. That can do a lot for a guy's confidence. I think getting him at plus 160 is a free money here. I, I would honestly take him at an even pick, let alone a plus 160 pick. What's your uh, bet on that? How many units? 10 units for 16. Okay. Yeah, that's solid. I might take that at plus 160. I mean, the way it, was, it sounded, he seems like he's a favorite, but at a huge underdog. I mean, he, he's fought much better competition and beat much better competition his entire yeah. career as fast as he's fighting. 
Now, you do have the off chance this guy ends up being something special, but you don't bet on that. That happens one out of five fighters that are on their come up. You're yeah. not going to bet on that. You're going to be wrong once in a while, but you're going to be right more often than not. Yeah, I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tail that, lock it in once I get my computer back. But moving on, I, I think you're going to stay in combat sports here for your next pick, but I'm going to move on to my bread and butter as I usually hold football here pretty heavily and – I would do my best national anthem impression right now, start singing. You know, if I had my computer, everybody would get super patriotic. We'd hear America the Beautiful or something because I'm taking us to the Armed Forces Bowl, Navy versus Army, America's greatest tradition here. Um, I've got Navy covering this spread. It's I've seen it anywhere from minus 10 to minus 11. Minus 10 and a half seems to be popular, but like I said, you people out there have the ability to shop around and find what you want to bet on. So that's what I did. I found Navy at minus 10. I like that because I can get the 10-point push. Um, and that's what I did. I got 10 units on them for 8.7 return. A few things. I don't think there's a lot of analysis needed in this game. I think this spread is being held close because Army's been solid the past few years. Listen, Navy's 9-2 and two this year. Army's 5-7. and seven. I mean, you're looking at a good team versus a not even bowl eligible team. I mean, to only be 10 points is actually a little bit surprising to me. Here's why I think it's only 10 points. Army has won three straight games. Um, they uh, against, I'm sorry, not three straight games this season. They've won three straight games against Navy. Um, Army's actually looked pretty abysmal their past three games. Their wins are coming over teams like UMass and like the worst team in the history of college football. I think they're like 11, one in 11 right now. And like SMI, I think was their other win recently. I don't even know what SMI stands for. And that's the team that <laughs> Army's beating Navy beat SMU. I know what that stands for. And SMU is a very good team. Uh, they beat Houston, who's not a great team, but they've been decent and they've been good in the past. Like Navy's got some actually credentialed wins. Army's biggest claim to fame this year is they took Michigan to overtime and we all know the problems that Michigan has. Michigan's an up and down team. They play great one week. They play terrible the next. So you can almost throw that game away because I mean, army didn't even win that game and that's like their biggest game this season. Navy also has a stud at running back named Malcolm Perry. He's got over 1500 rushing yards this year. He's got 19 touchdowns, I don't know anybody, or I don't know how well you listeners follow service academy teams. They're actually due to go to service after they go to school, which is why you usually don't see them in the NFL. However, they are starting to make some exceptions to where players that are good can go to the NFL and then do their service um, outside of the NFL. Like in the offseason, they can participate in programs and, you know, on a weekly basis on their bye week, that type of thing. And so they're actually allowing their service academy members to be more NFL participants. This Malcolm Perry has a legit chance to be an NFL draft pick. That's why I brought that up because he is a legitimate stud. Think about it. They know that Navy's running the ball every single play and they're still, this dude is still averaging over a hundred yards and over a touchdown per game. He's averaging almost two touchdowns per game. So he's a stud. I think Navy's a good team. And look from, it's not like Navy's just hit, you know, a buzzsaw and army's usually good. They're always better. Listen, from 2002 to 2015, Navy won 14 straight games. It's just been the last three years that army's had their number. Navy's the better team here. Historically, over the past two decades, they've been the better team. They've got the better players. I think they're the better coach team. 
I think Navy minus 10 is a great bet here. The service academy. If you guys want to watch a fun game too, this is a fun game. So I would really incline people to just put a few bucks on it, if nothing else. Um, or I should maybe say a few units because it's just a fun game to watch. You know, your inner bald eagle will come out. You know, George Washington, you'll start yelling, you know, freaking Abraham Lincoln quotes out as you're watching this game. You know, America the Beautiful, I don't care. Bet on Army if you want. This is going to be a fun game to watch. I think Navy's going to cover 10, though, and I don't think it's really going to be close. I think this could be a, you know, a 24 to 10 game or something. I think Navy comes out for revenge because they have lost three straight, and over the past two decades, they have been the better team. So lock in Navy minus 10. I've got them for 10 units at just under a nine-unit return. So I'm going to do what you're supposed to do, and I'm blindly tailing you. I didn't okay. analyze this game at all, but I just went and got it at minus 10 as well. So cool. I'm going to be definitely four score seven years ago watching this game and ready to go. <laughs> there we go. All right. America. The all right. So one more over in the combat sports, and this one's very interesting. I told Adam about this one probably about a month and a half ago. It's a title fight of Colby Covington versus Kamara Usman. Try to be short with it. Um, the first thing I'll point out is a lot of people hate Colby Covington. He has become the heel of the UFC, and he did it on purpose. He, he has the UFC figured out. He was actually told a couple fights ago that he was just not entertaining, and the UFC was getting ready to cut him, even though he was winning. So what did he do? He took a page out of Conor McGregor's book and then went two steps further. As soon as he won his last fight in Brazil, he called everybody a bunch of filthy animals in Brazil. The video went viral. All of a sudden, they got a bunch of buzz, and the UFC, UFC said, okay, we might have something with this guy. So then he decided, I'm going to be the ultimate troll. Now he wears his Make America Great hat everywhere he goes with the cheapest suit you can possibly find, and he carries around Donald Trump Jr. book and pretends to read it at press conferences. He's playing an absolute character. And the issue is, he, he's even come out and basically admitted it. People like Joe Rogan, who know him behind the scenes, that he's actually a very nice guy. But he is literally, he's playing a character, like it's a WWE style thing. And it's genius. He's the biggest draw in the UFC right now, probably until Conor comes back, because everybody wants to see him lose. And this kind of skews the public's perception. People want to see him so lose so bad, they don't want to admit that he's a phenomenal fighter. I watched his five-round fight in his last fight against Robbie Lawler, who is actually a beast of a fighter. And it is the most dominant win I have ever seen in my life of two high-caliber fighters. I've seen good guys beat up on nobody's worse than this. But taking two top five fighters, I don't think I've ever seen this dominant of a win. He absolutely steamrolled him. Now the reason I like him in this fight, it's very, very even matchup. These are two of the most elite wrestlers in the UFC. Maybe give the edge to Colby Cummington. He's a Division One wrestler, top five in the country when he was in college. Kamara Usman was a champion, but he was a Division Two, so lesser competition. Um, neither of them are knockout artists. They're cardio freaks that can wrestle and just grind and punch. Now, why I give the edge to Colby is I think he has a slight edge in wrestling, and I think he has a much bigger edge in cardio. If you look at their last three or four fights, I don't like to look at stats over their career because it's a five, seven-year career. They're different fighters now. The volume of strikes coming in a very evenly matched fight means a lot. I think as the fight is going to go to decisions, that means the judges are going to be making the call on who won. If one guy's throwing shot after shot after shot and the other guy isn't, mentally that has to skew the judges to think the other guy's winning, whether he is or not. If you look at Kamara Usman, strikes thrown per minute in his last three fights, eight, 
nine, 13.4. Pretty good numbers. That is very high numbers. On average, he's thrown about 10 strikes a minute every couple seconds. Strikes landed per minute, five, five, and four. So he's landing about five strikes a minute. Honestly, not bad numbers. Now Colby, and his, and two of these last three fights, they fought the same people. So it's similar competition. Colby's last three fights, 20.6 strikes thrown per minute, 12 per minute, and 21 per minute. He is averaging 18 strikes per minute. Every three seconds, he's throwing a punch at somebody or a kick or a knee. He's only landing about six of them. So he's landing just a little bit more than Kamara Usman. But the fact that he literally does not stop swinging at you, that makes it very hard for somebody to swing back. If you're constantly trying to dodge punches and getting punched in the face, it makes it very hard for you to swing back. Again, my only fear with Colby is that he fights a knockout artist because when you're going that relentlessly pushing forward, you can get caught leaving yourself open. But Kamar Usman is not a knockout guy. He has knocked people out, but that's not what he's known for. So unless he can catch Colby, I think Colby's just going to pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure. The last point about it is the head game that I've always talked about. Colby is so in Usman's head, it's unbelievable right now. He's been talking about how he's on steroids and he's got inside information, literally pulling a Conor McGregor, mentally breaking the guy down. Kamara Usman has always been a well-mannered, quiet guy who shows up, does his business. Now, all of a sudden, in this fight, he's taking his shirt off and flexing on people. He's wearing these weird, trying to be all fancy suits and these little, like, uh, I don't even know what you call it, some feather cap type hats. He's trying to be all flashy. He's trying to play the same game that he is not even close to as good at. It's in his head. This is getting personal for him. And he's also coming off of two surgeries. He hasn't fought since his last two surgeries. Who knows if that impacts him? There's just a lot of things that favor Colby in this fight, and you're getting him at plus 155 right now. I think a very, very evenly matched fight, and you're getting one guy at plus 155. If these guys fought 10 times, I think it's a 5-5, five and five, or Colby wins maybe six of them. So to get 155 especially a guy that's rattled in the head. He might come out swinging, not being his normal self, and just get, just get bald. I think people want to see Colby lose so bad that they're, they're just skewing their mentality and how good of a fighter he is because he truly is one of the best of the best. And, I, and this is probably one of my safest bets, I'd say, I've had in a long time. I really like Colby in this fight at plus 155. Okay, um, I know you said this was the UFC underdog card. I'm going to blindly tell you, like you said, on both of your UFC uh, underdogs. Um, so I guess if either one of them hits, then you come out positive. Either one of them hits, you're out positive. And if they both hit, you're up big. I also yeah. like the other UFC title fight, Alexander uh, Volkanovski. I don't like it enough to put it down, but I could also see him winning as an underdog. He doesn't have quite as good odds, though. I think he's only at like plus 130 or 140, so... I like to stay away from that. You don't get such great return at that point that it's worth taking a dog, I don't think, unless they're a heavy favorite. I honestly think the other guy is a better fighter and will probably win. So I'm staying away, but it's one that I also wouldn't be surprised putting a few dollars to it. You can't. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And the only – I just know that John Jones has got a fight coming up here. We could probably talk about that uh, a little later because that's like two months from now. But I'm excited for that fight. John Jones is – one of the guys I follow, I followed him big time uh, when I was actually in the Muay Thai because it was Muay Thai is big into uh, using your elbows and you know John Jones is better at elbows than anybody probably ever. And I'm excited to watch John Jones fight. Uh, I think it's early February, so I'll be on that. Yeah. We can discuss that one. I'll give some. I'll give some better analysis. I'll be more prepared for that one. He's going to be a heavy favorite, I'm assuming. But <laughs> I'll probably be a minus four hundred. 
Yeah, I think that's what it is. I'll, I'll still take him regardless because, you know, the cocaine-induced steroid monster that he is, he's just going to be the best fighter. So, All right. let's take. I'm going to take this here into the NFL here. Uh, I'm going to go to a team that I think historically I've lost against when I bet against them like two or three times so far this season, including legitimately the worst bet of all time last week. I took Houston to cover against the Denver Broncos nine points. And I think like a quarter and a half into the game, Houston was losing by 40. Like it was like 42 to seven, like halfway through the, like at halftime or something. It was insane. Everything that could have gone wrong for Houston went wrong. Everything that could have went right for Denver went right. So, you know, whatever it is, what it is on that one, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this week. I've got Denver to cover 10 and a half against the Chiefs. Um, a little bit surprising because it is the Chiefs, a high, high two offense that could easily run away with this game, put up something like 30-35 that Denver might struggle to even compete with. But I got them covering 10 and a half. I've got 10 units on that to return 8.7. Really, I don't think this requires a whole lot of analysis, honestly. And here's a couple, just a couple quick reasons why. The Houston Texans game, they put up 38 or 40 points, I think, against the Texans. The last game they put up 23 against the Chargers, who have a pretty solid defense. That's the two games that Drew Locke has been playing. Mm -hmm. They're averaging 30 points per game or over 30 points per game. That means the Chiefs defense has been a little bit better down the stretch, but still the Chiefs defense is not some great top 10 defense or anything. Maybe they went from a bottom five or eight defense to an average defense over the past few games. But if Drew Locke is going to come in and put up anywhere close to 30 points, they have a chance to win this game, let alone covering 10 and a half points. That means the Chiefs, offense with Patrick Mahomes, who has been hurt. He has been struggling, not struggling, struggling, but struggling for Patrick Mahomes. And I think that this is a game that could actually be a close game, something like a 24-17 game, a 24-20 game, something a little more low scoring than maybe people are thinking in a game where Denver keeps it close. There's been, over this entire season, there's been three games that the Denver Broncos have lost by two possessions. That's what we're looking at here. Ten and a half point spread is is like just it's just over two possession game, and really the Denver Broncos are that type of team that keeps it close. And Drew Locke has added a new dynamic to this offense that allows Cortland Sutton to be breaking out, that allows them to be making these plays downfield when before Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen were not able to make downfield. Drew Locke is opening that offense up. And if we remember, we take it back to when Drew Locke was in college, he led the SEC in passing. If he was if he was on an Alabama or an Auburn or LSU, he would have gotten maybe Heisman consideration, maybe not been on the ballot, but he would have been in the conversation. But instead he was on a, a miserable Mizzou team and he didn't really get that. And, you know, he's kind of been waiting in the balances behind Brandon Allen and Joe Flacco. Obviously the plan for the Broncos was to get Drew Locke in the season. I don't think anybody thought he was going to have the game that he's been having, but the Chiefs defense has been averaging almost 400 yards given up per game, 390 yards per, per game. I think Drew Locke is going to come in. I think he's going to have a good game. I think that the Denver Broncos are going to get the run game rolling. I just think they're going to keep the game close. I don't think they're going to win. Chiefs win this game. Maybe they even win by a touchdown. Maybe they even win by a touchdown on a field goal, but I was able to get the Broncos at 10 and a half here. So 
that covers a touchdown and a field goal. Think a late, you know, you could be down by 14 points with a minute to go and the Denver Broncos are still going to cover. The NFL is built to, or still could cover, I could should say. The NFL is built for one possession games. Jared, just like you and I were talking back and forth, basketball can get out of hand much easier because you've got 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 possessions in a game. In the NFL, you got 10 to 14 possessions in a game. One or two things goes wrong. Mahomes throws an interception. They, you know, Denver has one big play, one 70-yard play, one 65-yard touchdown, and the whole game has changed. I just like Denver to keep it close here and at least cover 10 and a half. Yeah, I'm actually surprised, but not surprised that you went with the Denver. Like I was saying last week, I, I don't like to pick them, but they're a team I don't like to pick against because they seem to yeah. like to play spoiler. Even though they're not necessarily winning a lot of games, they're keeping a lot of games much closer than you think of. I've lost a couple times on them. Even putting them in a teaser, oh, they're a 10-point favorite, I'll, I'll or they're a 10-point dog, I'll, I'll buy the winner down to three, and then they still end up covering the three. I just if I have to pep or pick with the Broncos, I'm going to pick for them. I just like to stay away from them because they're they're a spoiler team this whole year. Hopefully, they spoil the Chiefs and not me here again this week. Uh, I think you'll be all right, but time will tell. Um, so on to my moving over to the NFL for myself here. Um, I'm going to take the Rams minus one at um, uh, Dallas Cowboys. The reason I'm doing this. I won't even really spend much time on this because it's pretty straightforward, is the Dallas Cowboys are a bad football team. I mean, there's not really any way to put it other than that just they're bad. Um, they have lost to basically every single good team they've played, except <clears throat> the Eagles was the best team they beat, and they're a 6-7 and seven football team. I just tallied up. Their wins are a combined against teams that are a combined 17-17. 47 and one basically their wins their wins are basically coming from they beat um who did they beat they beat the dolphins who are three and ten yeah they beat the dolphins who are three and ten they beat the giants twice who are two and eleven they beat the redskins who are three and ten the eagles who are six and seven and the lions who are three nine and one every other team they've played they've lost to they cannot beat good teams I'll admit it. I fell for it. I thought they were a good team at the start of the year, but they're just beating up on nobody. And I think the Rams are kind of starting to turn a corner. I don't think they're the Rams we've seen of the past, but they have some credible wins now on their slate since um, uh, their bye week. I know they did yeah. have a couple of the Steelers who are a good team. They're an eight and five team right now, but they also handled the Seahawks pretty easily. Um, they, they, they did lose the Ravens, but the Ravens are literally an unstoppable football team. I'm not going to go too much into detail. Like I said, the Cowboys cannot beat a good team. I'm going to take a good team playing the Cowboys until they prove me wrong. It's worked five weeks in a row or so now. I'm going to I'm going to keep rolling with it. Yeah, I think that's smart. I when I saw this, I was all over Rams as well. I was honestly thinking about putting this in as one of mine. The thing that kept me away from it, I know, I hate to use this because it's subjective, and I think Jared, you're starting to. Tr- track it actually so maybe we can get some real numbers behind it but the Vegas hunch just like you said the Cowboys have beat nobody the Cowboys are not a good team the Cowboys have everybody knows the narrative that the Cowboys haven't beat a 500 team this whole week on Sports Center. like there's like a 10 minute segment like once a day about how the Cowboys can't beat anybody good so 
that's the only reason why I might lean the Cowboys, just because it seems ridiculous that it's only a one-point spread when the Rams are looking better and the Cowboys just look like an average team. Uh, but I would take the Rams objectively, it seems smarter to do. But just that Vegas hunch, that kind of questioning why it is such a close spread is, is why. Because we know Vegas seems to know. But you are, are you tracking the Vegas hunch, Jared? I haven't been, but I do know in college basketball it's been out of control. There was a, a two-day stretch there. where literally, like, Illinois beat Michigan and Rutgers beat Wisconsin and Tech beat Louisville and what was the other one? Uh, Maryland lost to Penn State. It was out of control. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll get some numbers on that because the Vegas hunch, I think, is, is a real thing. Vegas seems to know things that propel the public to bet on one side. I'm not going to say they know things because – statistically, they're going to still lose some of them. It's not like they know this one player is going to have a bad game or something. But statistically, if you are if you are figuring out Vegas's betting methods over the long haul, I think that's going to be a positive. So maybe we could track that and get some numbers for you guys. Um, after all, this yeah. is just our first uh, kind of season doing this here at, at Odds. But, you know, we'll figure it out. We're getting rolling. We're okay, up so on I, Vegas. I really like I really like to go with that Vegas punch when you have a, a drastically skewed one. Like you look yeah. at like Penn State, Maryland, I would have thought Maryland made a ten point favorite and they're even. Where yeah, this Rams the, Cowboys, I would have expected maybe more like four for the Rams. So the one it does, half, it does yeah. catch me off a little bit, but it's not like, whoa, what the heck's going on kind of thing. Yeah, you're right. That's that's fair. Maybe it's not quite a Vegas hunch, just like a, a Vegas feeling about that. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna keep us in the NFL here. Oakland, I've got minus six. Um, they've been floating around. I saw them at minus six and a half at one point, but I found them at minus six. I don't know why I'm taking Oakland again. I feel like they've lost me a lot of money. I've, I, I, I won one big bet on them earlier, and I think I have to, had them in a parlay earlier too. But since then, I'm like 0-3 with betting on them. So I don't know why I'm sticking with them and John Gruden, but I am uh, for just a couple of reasons. Oakland's 5-2 and two at home. The Jaguars have been abysmal as of late. I think they've lost like five or six straight, losing by like 20 points in like three of those games. Like they've been terrible. DJ Chark is also out, Jared. I know he, I know DJ Chark is hurt because he's on your fantasy team and literally everybody on your fantasy team is hurt. So I don't see any reason that the Jaguars can keep this game close. They're so bad recently i mean just they're terrible and oakland's been uh you know that team that's kind of been average looked good at times looked bad at times i think this is a game where they get right they look good john gruden said he was disgusted by how the raiders have looked recently i think they get rolling i think they get back on track i don't think oakland has anything to play for at this point i think they might be out of the playoffs or just barely hanging by a thread but it's not like they're in tank mode anyways. They're not going to be tanking for a top five or six pick. They're sitting right in the middle. So they're going to keep trying to win games. They're going to keep trying to build for next season. I don't think the Jaguars have any chance in this game to win it. That's why I'm taking Oakland because I got this betting advice um, when I was listening to a, a radio show, a local radio show, 97 won the ticket here around Detroit. And an attorney that represented bookies called in and was talking like a five minute. He had almost his own segment and they weren't even planning on it because he had so much information. And he said the best way to win money or what the the bookies would tell him is to bet on teams that you know are going to win and just take the points blindly. And that's kind of what I'm doing here. I don't love Oakland to cover minus six against anybody based on how they're playing, but I love Oakland to win this game. I'm blindly taking them with the points just because of how bad the Jaguars have been. 
I got seven units on that to return six. Not one of my heavier bets of the week, but um, really, I don't think Jaguars stand to any chance in this game. Yeah, I got to agree. I, the, the Jaguars have burned me all year. I keep putting them in teasers thinking, they're, oh, they'll keep it close. They get blown out every time. No, they've um, been terrible. The yeah, I just, games. I just don't like them. People might say, I think Minshew's playing, so maybe that boosts him a little bit. But like you pointed out, with Chark gone, he doesn't. And Minshew was good because he could just lop him off the chart and he was getting a touchdown and 80 yards every single game. Now without that, you, I mean, they have decent fill-in players, but those fill-in players are supposed to be fill-in players, not the go-to guys. Yeah, and the Minshew playing, I think that does give him a little bit of a boost, but it's not like, look, Minshew looked good earlier in the season, but since Foles was benched and Minshew came back, Minshew has not looked good. It's not like they're like, oh, we got Minshew back. I mean, listen to their listen to their last games. We'll go back to, okay, we'll we'll start with when they beat the Jets. Congratulations, you beat the Jets. After that, they lost to the Texans, twenty six to three. We just saw the Denver Broncos hang a ton of points on the Texans. Jaguars could only score three. Thirty three to thirteen, they lost. Forty two to twenty. Twenty eight to eleven. Forty five to ten. Literally one, two, three, four. Their last five games, they're losing by like twenty points. And it's not like they played great teams. They played good teams, Texans, Colts, Titans, Buccaneers, Chargers. None of those are great teams. They've just been getting ramrodded by them. I take Oakland with confidence here. All right. On to my last game. I'm going to go to one of my teasers that I've been doing. Um, this should be pretty straightforward. Patriots are minus 10 to the Bengals. I bought that down to minus 3 with the teaser. The Patriots need a win. They seem like they're kind of sliding a little bit. The Bengals are a perfect team for them to get that one. They cover 10. I honestly think they probably do. Covering three, you're basically asking how the Patriots going to win the game. The chances the Patriots lose or squeak this one out by one or two, I think if you don't think the Patriots will cover three, you're insane. <laughs> uh, then you got the Seahawks with Carolina. I got Seahawks plus one. Makes me a little nervous just on the road. But Carolina, they looked great at the start of the year, but they've looked atrocious now in the second half of the year. The Seahawks, I think, are a good team. They need to kind of rebound from their loss at the head of the Rams. Uh, I expect the Seahawks to grind out a win. I don't think it's going to be a pretty one, but Russell Wilson is just—he's magical at getting those those wins down at the end of the end of the game. I think the Hawks will pull this one out, and I got one point, so it somehow becomes a draw. They lose by one, at least pushes. The one that's a little not positive on is the Bills and Steelers. They have better to pick them, so I'm getting the Bills at seven. I I think I'm I'm pretty comfortable with this. I really don't have a strong opinion on who's going to win the game, but for the Bills to keep it within seven, they're keeping a lot of their games within seven. I think they even might have kept the Ravens within seven. They have a defense that's going to at least slow the Steelers down, and I think they'll at least score a couple times. I don't see the Steelers running away from it. So I'm pretty comfortable, honestly, keeping the Bills with seven here. Um, and that's a 10 bet for 13 units. I mean, I again, things happen weird, but those seem like all – pretty big locks to me. I'm not going to really put a whole lot of time into it because they seem almost like obvious choices. Yeah, I think that that's solid. At first, I didn't hear you say teaser. I don't know if the microphone cut out or I just didn't hear you. And I heard Patriots minus three. And I was immediately just like, how is this not like the biggest <laughs> lock of the week? How, how did I not find this? But yeah, I think that's a good teaser. The only thing is like you seemed a little apprehensive, a little hesitant about the Buffalo one. I think you had them. You had Buffalo. What was that? Plus seven. Plus seven. It, it should be fine. I don't see any real issue with that. They're a team that plays everybody close, like you said. But I think if there is a link that lets your uh, your teaser down, that, that one might be it. But 
What were the three teams on that teaser? And what was your bet? I think I'm going to tail that. Bills plus seven, Seahawks plus one at Carolina, and Patri- Patriots minus three. And I got yeah. ten for uh, thirteen. It's about a about a plus one thirty when you put it all together. That's that's solid. I might. I'm, I think I'm going to have to follow that if I can get my computer back here in the next few hours. But I'm going to wrap us up here uh, for our picks. I'm going to keep us in the NFL, and I'm going to stay here with, or I'm going to stay in the Lions division to a team that I feel like I know a decent amount about and that's the Vikings and I'm going to have them this is my biggest bet of the week covering a two-point spread minus two versus the uh, Los Angeles Chargers I got 15 units to return 13 units on that as you can see last week I had a few more risky bets this week I am doing all straight bets to get back on track Um, all teams straight up to cover the spread or you know one way or another here's a few things about this game Rivers has looked like a dumpster he really, truly has not been good. 20 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. He, his time has come. He's washed up. The only thing Phillip Rivers is good for now is slinging the ball around the field just when you're, you either need a touchdown or when you're down and he's just trying to make a comeback. That's when he actually is pretty good. He can just dump it down back and forth. He can take turns throwing it to Austin Eckler, then Melvin Gordon, then Keenan Allen. And he does that three or four times and takes a shot to Mike Williams. They've got a good offense with a really struggling quarterback on decline at the helm. I think that he's going to be one of the reasons they lose this game. Kirk Cousins on the other side of the ball, I get it. Kirk Cousins, game manager. He's Alex Smith 2.0. He's never going to make the great plays. He always seemingly has empty calorie stats, as I like to call them. But let's take a look at it. How empty calorie are these stats? They're playing in the NFC, which is better than the AFC. They're 9-4. and four. They're, I think, hosting the or holding the uh, second wild card spot right now. Cousins is having 24 touchdowns to four interceptions. He's pacing for like, a 30-touchdown season with like five or six interceptions, which is outstanding. Cousins isn't going to be the guy that's going to go out usually and win you the game, but he's going to be the guy that's going to go out and make good plays and usually not lose you the game. And the Chargers are not the type of team that goes out and snatches your heart away and puts Kirk Cousins down by 14, six minutes into the first quarter to where he's going to have to come out and win the game. That is not the Chargers. How the Chargers win games, if they win games this season, is they figure out a way to stay in it and win it at the end. This Minnesota Vikings team is kind of, I feel like, too good of a team to allow this Chargers team to sit around and hang hang around. The other thing I like to look at, at this point of the season, you are what your record says you are. At the beginning of the season, I like to take, I said it, it's kind of my catchphrase a little bit, regression to the expectation. If you notice, I haven't said that in about four weeks here or three weeks on our podcast because... At this point, there are no more expectations. You are what you are. When you're five and one and nobody thought you'd be good, sure, I'm going to take you to lose maybe the next two or three games because you're probably not that good of a team. Just like the Cowboys jumped out because they were beating crappy teams, all of a sudden the spread starts to favor them and they play good teams and they regress to what people thought they were, which is probably a little bit more of an average team. That's what I think this is here, but not that. This is like now we know what they are. The Chargers are 5-8. and eight. They're not a good team. They're a below-average team, but not a terrible team. They're just, eh, okay. The Vikings are a 9-4 team. They're a good team. They're looking at finishing the season with an 11-win season, and that is great for the NFC especially. I like the Vikings. It's only a two-point spread here. That means even a last-second field goal will win the game for you. 
say it's a tie game and Kirk Cousins does do something to win the game. I like the Vikings. I like them with confidence here. That's why they're my biggest bet of the week. 15 units to return 13. I think this Kirk Cousins team excels against below average teams and sometimes runs up a little short. I think their last, they only have two losses in like their last nine games and they're both to good teams. The Chiefs and I think I'm I'm drawing a blank on the other one. Um, but the Chiefs and one other team, there were two good teams and they, oh, the Seahawks. Sorry, there we go. They lost to the Seahawks and the Chiefs. So <clears throat> it's, it's really tough to look at them and say that they're a bad team. Really? They're a good team, a very good team. And I think the Chargers are a bad team. And it's only a two point spread. The only thing that's keeping me from putting more on it, maybe my life savings is that kind of Vegas. What does Vegas know? But yeah. take the Vikings with confidence. They're at minus two, 15 units for 13. And that's, I mean, I that wraps the, the whole Vegas thing you're saying almost be partially due to that the Chargers just beat down the Jaguars. So not people yeah. might say, oh, the Chargers are back. They just won by 35. Bias. And yeah. also people, a lot of people think the Chargers are a better team than their record says, which they might be. But at the end of the day, you know. Uh, it is what it is. You're you're five and eight. You can't figure out a way to win those close games. So that's why I'm going to take the Vikings because you can't figure out a way to win those close games. But all in all, this week much safer. I'm betting 49 units with a possible return of only 42 and a half. So a lot safer betting this week. Not as much risk. Hopefully we can we can get the uh, ship righted and, and get moving in the right direction. What about you this week, Jared? Uh, about what I've been doing with 10 on each one. So I got 50 units out for I think it's 64 or so return. Okay. So cool. Yeah. All right. So, so our last one then is our head to head. I won our last one to take a lead four to three. We've been going back and forth all year. Nobody can really jump out past the other one too far, but you want to start this off. We got a, a, a pick them game. Yeah. Here. You want to kick us off? I pick them here with the uh, Bills and Steelers. So this is again, one of those games that I really kind of like last week, don't have a strong opinion toward. I'm staying away from it from a betting standpoint, except in a teaser. Um, I really like the Bills if I have to choose a side, though, just because I think that, I mean, with Duck Hodges coming in, the, the Steelers have really struggled against or, or really to move the ball. They've been winning because of their defense, and the Bills are a defensive team. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. And I, just, I just think this little bit edge that the Bills I would give on the offensive side of the ball I think will help them squeak out a win here. But I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised for it to go either way. So I'm just kind of rolling on that Bills defense to take advantage of the young uh, offensive players on the Steelers. Yeah, it is a it is a pickup. So I mean, by definition, I mean I guess any game can. But Vegas could be expecting this game to go either way. Vegas doesn't even really know where to put it. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm having a, a a difficult time picking either team in this one. I think you can make a case for either one. I'm going to go against my Steelers pick just for a quick second here. The Bills are that that gritty, nitty-gritty team that figures out a way to repress your scoring. Like, they just... You said the Baltimore Ravens are an unstoppable team. They are. But the Buffalo Bills held them in check. If the Buffalo Bills played a little bit better offensively, they had a chance to tie that game in the end. Marlon Humphreys made a great play to break up the pass um, to Cole Beasley, I think it was. Or, no, uh, to John Brown in the end zone. I think the Buffalo Bills are a little bit of an underrated team, but I really think the Steelers are an underrated team, like a big time underrated team. So I'll take the Steelers on this one. 
eight and five. Everyone's looking at them saying that they're not that good. That shouldn't be their record, but I think they're a good team. I'll take them just to kind of play devil's advocate. Cause I feel like a lot of people are on Buffalo side on this one, just cause the Steelers, like you said, have that backup quarterback. So I'll take the Steelers. I'm four and three in the head to head. Hopefully I can gain some ground there. All right. Well, I'll but, tie it back up at four, but that's going to, that's going to do wraps for us. up this week. So oh, a little under our standard production value of our music <laughs> and awesome dinging of bells and cash sounds, but you know, the picks are there. So, I mean, that's what everyone's listening for to make some money. Hopefully we're just as entertaining. All right, everybody. Well, good luck and Kaylee's best to stay above that 500. All right. Thanks for listening to at odds here. I'm Adam. That's Jared. And good luck this weekend and enjoy your uh, patriotic bowl game between Navy and Army. I think everybody should watch that. It's going to be fun. See you later. All right. Bye-bye.